0: Welcome to the podcast, People of the Book. I'm your host, Meryl Ayn. We're proud to be part of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. We chat with authors and storytellers in thought-provoking and intimate interviews, all with a Jewish twist. On today's program, I'm delighted to welcome Sharon Gloger Friedman. Sharon was born and raised in South Florida and now lives in Georgia with her husband. A former English teacher who left the classroom to raise her daughter and son, she found a new career as a freelance writer and copy editor. Her articles and essays have appeared in the Boston Globe, Women's World Magazine, Yahoo News and examiner.com. Sharon's debut novel, Ashes, chronicles one family's escape from the horrors of a Russian pogrom to the tenements of New York City and the events that link them to the tragedy of the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire. Ashes is the 2019 winner of the Next Generation Indie Book Award for Historical Fiction and the 2019 New Apple Summer Ebook Awards solo medalist winner for historical fiction. Her second novel, In Freedom's Light, was published a few months ago and is set against the background of 18th and 19th century Charleston and Philadelphia. It explores historical events and their impact on the bonds of family and friends. So, welcome, Sharon. I read Ashes a while ago, and I recently finished your new book, In Freedom's Light. The novels cover very different historical periods, but what struck me as similar as is that they both have a lot of heart. Uh, let's begin with Ashes. All right. As a former American history teacher, I was captivated by your treatment of the impact of the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire on your characters. Would you give us a brief summary of Ashes for those who haven't read it yet?
1: I would love to. Ashes is a very personal book for me. It's based very loosely on the experiences of my grandparents and great aunts and uncles when they came from Austria to the United States. Now, Ashes deals starts in Russia with the pogrom, but um, everything that happens in New York are basically uh, similar to the experiences that my grandparents and um, other family members had. They came here to this country. They lived in the tenements. Um, They were supporting their families, especially the young girls, which was typical at that time. And I focus on the one family where the young daughter Uh, who always wanted to get an education, had to leave school to support her family when her father is injured. And she goes to work in the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. Um, uh, Conditions for garment workers were terrible at that time. Um, We're talking about the early 1900s. The fire itself was in 1911. Um, My family did not come to this country till 1912, but they knew survivors of the fires or families who had lost loved ones in the fire. And um, it speaks to the heart of uh, immigrant life and family life. And of course, the horrors of working in the garment industry where you work long hours for very little pay in very unsafe conditions. And so the book pretty much chronicles what leads up to this family's involvement with the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory. And um, has a happy ending, I will say that, but um, not for everyone who worked in the factory.
0: Okay, hey, I'm I'm curious. Um, was this uh, your your um, your family's journey to America and their experience here? Uh, how did how did you find out about it? Was this just uh, part of family lore? Did you find out about it from your grandparents, your parents? Did you have to? Um, Research it. Um, ha- I'm, I'm curious about that. Uh,
1: I was very fortunate. I grew up surrounded not only by my grandparents, but all those great aunts and uncles. And it was like having five or six bubbies and Zadies. You know, we were wow. all.
0: Wow. Mm-hmm.
1: The sisters were very close and they were always together. And, uh, you know, then you didn't have a lot of television. And when you got together, they'd sit around and talk. And they reminisce and exchange and retell good memories and the bad memories and I grew up listening to that and it always stuck with me and then of course when you're a child or even in your teens you don't realize the importance of your family legacy but um, I was very fortunate to have my grandfather he lived a long life and when I was in my 30s I tape recorded all the stories so wow. I had this. Mm-hmm. I had this wealth of information. Now a lot of it needed fact checking because, as we know, memories change facts and things that happen. And my grandfather had a tendency of casting himself as a hero in almost every story. <laughs> so, right. so, I, you know, I verified what I could with my the ants that were still surviving, and then of course I did deep research into the time and the circumstances. Um, there were first person accounts that were. Very helpful um, that I found, you know, through research, and that added to the stories that my family told me. So it was all, it was all based on this very rich lore, and what I hope comes across in the book because I really wanted to honor uh, the family that I had and the close ties and um, just the love that I felt growing up. And, um, and those people were very important to me. And I will tell you that a lot of the minor characters are named after my great aunts and uncles.
0: Wow. But, yeah. So um, how, how long did it take you uh, to, ri- to write this book? Ash what, what was your writing process like? Uh, Ashes took me
1: about two and a half years to write. Part of it was because I guess it was a first novel and there were a lot of missteps, Um, but also the research and I, I find that when you write historical fiction, you need to be accurate and I I got very um, almost obsessed about making sure as I was writing I was getting the facts right, because if I If I got something wrong in chapter three and I carried it all the way through the book, then I had a lot to go back on. So I think that's probably what contributed to taking so long. Uh, I was very meticulous as I wrote to fact check. Now that meant it took longer, but it also meant in terms of um, the authenticity, my first draft was pretty clean. So yeah, I think
0: that's very important. when you're writing historical fiction, uh, were there any uh, particular sources that, that were uh, especially helpful to you?
1: Yeah, I cited one book. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, hold on. Uh, it was uh, The Triangle Factory, The Triangle Fire by uh, Joanne Arsinger. And then the other thing that was very helpful was I was able to find these first person accounts on the internet. Um, and, um, that was very helpful to me because, um, it painted a picture. It wasn't just the fact it was the emotion and the feelings of being in either having been in the fire or losing family members to the fire. So that was, um, that was very helpful.
0: Well, you, you, you really, you really nailed it. And, um, as, as a former, as I said, as, as a former history teacher, I, would have loved to, to have this book um, for my students, which leads me to my next question. Um, who, do, who do you think should read Ashes?
1: Um, interesting because some, uh, I have had comments where people thought it would make a great YA book, you know, a young adult book. I, I wrote it for adults, but I could see as it would be helpful in the classroom. Um, the, um my granddaughter at one point had, in her history class, they had touched on it. But it's not, I don't know that it's generally taught, you know, a great deal in American history anymore.
0: Oh, okay. Well, that's a good point. It should I, be. It should be.
1: I really don't know. I don't know at what, you know, where, what it was. I know when I was going through school in the Dark Ages, when we wrote on caves, um, that it wasn't being taught.
0: Okay. Um, so let, let's move on to your second novel now, in, in Freedom's Light. Would you tell us a little bit about the, of that storyline?
1: Um, yeah, it was an interesting, I actually didn't intend to write another book. <clears throat> Ashes was kind of, a, <clears throat> excuse me, a um, bucket list
0: item for me. So why, <laughs> why did you not intend to? And why was it a bucket list item?
1: I just, because I had pretty much been carrying that book around in my head for 40 years, you know, thinking about always wanting to write it and then finally writing it. But I was at a dinner party and I met a young woman who um, in the course of conversation was talking about the results of, you know, one of these uh, DNA tests, you know, to find out about your ancestry. And she was, she grew up in South Carolina in Charleston, raised as a Catholic, and then found out that she did have some Jewish heritage And that immediately kind of rang a bell because I just read an article about conversos in New Mexico. Um, uh, There's there's whole generations who basically observe certain Jewish traditions without ever realizing that they have a Jewish heritage. And it's because um, back in the Inquisition, there were people who um, converted to Christianity but practiced Judaism in secret. And these traditions continued, even though the religious aspect of it was lost. So I don't know, I just became fascinated with the story. And then I just started reading and um, decided that it would make a good book. So I went ahead and started writing.
0: Okay, so I I have to confess um, that it was a bit surprised Uh, by the turn the story took. At the beginning of the book, I thought it was going to be about the Converso, Annika's journey. And in my opinion, I think it ended up being more about slavery. Uh, Do you agree? And if so, how, how and why did you make that turn? Did you make that decision?
1: I do agree with you, and I I will tell you, initially, uh, I did intend to write a book, as you suggested, about a journey as a converso. but um, as I started writing and I got them to the plantation, um, things shifted, and I kind of let the characters, again, take me where they wanted to go, and it just went in that direction and um, it just, I thought about too about families and um, what makes a family and um, the different uh, backgrounds that we have that enter into our lives. And it it just took me that way. Um, I still hope that at its heart, uh, what comes through is the tradition that carried through Uh, In in this case, Annika's lighting the Shabbat candles as her mother had done. And her mother was doing it as a converso in hiding. And she continues to do it that way too. And um, I I felt like the traditions of all our cultures are important. And then I started introducing the cultures behind um, that were existing and that uh, some were being practiced in secret by African-Americans when they came over and were enslaved. So, or um, that's the way it went. It just kind of took off on its own.
0: I, I, I don't know whether you agree. I kind of saw the the candles uh, at as a metaphor for for freedom, for the Converso, and 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 for the freedom from slavery.
1: Yes, thank you for seeing that. Yes, because that's why it became so important for Ruth to light the candles as well, and. Um, uh, and and you know first become an observer and then become an observant uh, person lighting the candles. Yes, th- it is a metaphor. And at the same time, I I don't mean I never meant to equate one form of persecution with the other form. They each were, had their own horrors, and um, I you know I I there's no equal there's no equal suffering in there. They they each had their own difficulties, and Anakin and Ruth, but they each found hope in the candles. And that's what I wanted,
0: I hope I conveyed. Well, you did, you certainly did. Um, So I'm really interested in your research. You know, as a historical fiction writer myself, I I love the research. I think I sometimes love the research more than the writing. So I'd like to hear about your research for both books. for this book, we we discussed the previous book already. Essentially, you were researching not only Annika's backstory of persecution and coming to America, but as we said, also the United States in the pre-Civil War era and the institution of slavery. That's a lot of research. How did you go about it? And uh, I'm curious, did you research first or did you did you research it as you wrote it?
1: Uh, I am with you in on um, liking research and that's part of the reason I think it takes again so long because I, I do these deep dives. The way I started once I had the idea for the book was I did a very broad research on broad topics that I could see would come into play. Um, then once I I did that, and actually sometimes the research sparks ideas for plot, so I found that too. Then as I started writing, I because I never intended to, I went in a direction different than I intended. I found myself researching as I was writing a particular topic um, and then having to do really deep dives into it. And because I started them out on a ship and that uh, Annika's husband Efren was an importer-exporter, I realized later on that I had to deal with political issues that arose in the early 1800s. And so that sent me off in another direction. So I would say broad research in the beginning and then very specific research as an issue would come up as I was writing. So sometimes I'd stop writing and I'd be researching for days to make sure I got it. Because of the pandemic, uh, I was at, I, we went to Charleston pre pandemic, but then mm-hmm. right away the pandemic hit and I never went back. So I was relying a lot on, um, on the internet. I, I would make phone calls and talk to people, but each step of the way, especially on the internet, if I found the answer to my question one place, I made sure I found the same answer in other places to make sure I was, being, I was getting accurate information. So it was a, it, that contributed to the amount of time it took to
0: write the book. Right. Uh, what, what elements of the story are true?
1: Uh, pretty much, well, the, the anything historical is true. The, the characterizations are partly my imagination. When it comes to describing the conditions of the enslaved people, um, in 1930, the work, there was the WPA, uh, hired writers to put them to work to interview surviving slaves mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of information about the slaves and and the the little uh, nuances of what was happening to them came from those interviews so that that was a that part is although That's i put a it a great at,
0: resource that was, it it was been a great it was, resource
1: it was fabulous it, although the dialogue i put in there the characters mouths is fictional the or the the environment and the circumstances were based on fact,
0: and and the dialect. Did you um, did you research that, or how did how did you get that?
1: I did some research. Yes, I the WPA transcripts were um, a lot of them tried to reproduce exactly how the individuals were speaking, and it, it seemed to me to, I, it it was over the top. I'm going to put it that way. So. <laughs> I tried to um, basically look at. um, They were not educated. They were not the ones that were enslaved. So I tried to, you know, like verbs were didn't agree and things like that. Um, So, but I still hope that I gave their speech dignity. I did not want it to mean
0: them. Well, no, that that was very clear. That was very clear. Uh, so Sharon, you had a couple of careers before you uh, wrote your first novel. Uh, you mentioned that you thought it was going to be a, a bucket list item, but but what prompted you um, to become an author? You said that you wanted to tell the story of your family and that was with you for 40 years, but now you've published a second book. So you're you're an author now, so yeah, what awesome. prompted you to keep going? Uh,
1: well, I always wanted to write. And I, um, you know, I, I, was, I went to college, I started college in 1963. And at that time, women pretty much either taught school or became a nurse. And right. uh, even though I wanted to write, I, I knew that I'd have to get out and be able to support myself. So I, I and I loved English and I, I loved my career, my short career as an English teacher. Um, but writing was always foremost in my, my, my future, my hopes. Um, when my kids started school, I started freelance writing and, um, sold enough, you know, to keep my ego soothed, but never made enough money to keep the dogs and kibbles and bits. But it was, (laughs) uh, it was, it was a kind of a starting point for me. And I continued freelancing for quite a while. Um, I did go into, um, I, w- I went to work for a um, nonprofit organization um, at one point and entered the world of direct marketing. I was doing um, brochures and newsletters and let, you know uh, those kinds of things. Uh, and that just set me on a career in direct marketing, which I followed for about 35 years. And um, after I left the, the nonprofit organization was at that time called National Head Injury Foundation. After I left them, I went to work for a seminar company as a copywriter and editor, and I retired as director of marketing for the seminar division. So I've been pretty much writing all my life, but never doing what I really wanted to do because, you know, you get caught up, you start a career, and it would thank God it worked well. So I continued doing that way, and it was only until I retired that I finally decided to write the book.
0: Well, that's interesting. You mentioned the word marketing, and I think every author knows that, Once you write the book and get it published, your work is not done. Uh, You have to uh, market it or promote it or or sell it. I'm curious how uh, your your marketing uh, background um, has helped you in this with your books or hasn't it? (laughs) It, Well, you know
1: what? When I retired, I uh, social media was just starting and I left. In part because I, I saw myself as not as aging out. You know, I wasn't very adept at um, social media at the time. So, although some of the theories behind marketing were still with me, uh, I found myself in a whole new environment with social media. So, it took a while, and um, I'm, it's been a, a great uh, way for me to, you know, introduce the book. Uh, I, I love being on Facebook. I've loved making friends with readers and I've been so impressed with the support and generosity of other authors. I
0: can't tell you, Mm -hmm. you, know, as a
1: newbie, they, they helped me, they guided me, they supported me. And I mean, I, I would, I would, we would be here for two hours if I named all the names of the wonderful people that helped when I started out. And so, uh, but now that the book is written, and I'm sure you know this, it's a full-time job getting the yeah. word out, marketing and, you know, reaching the right people or reaching people in general and getting them to read the book.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah especially, uh, you know, during a pandemic.
1: Yeah, that, yeah, that I was, um that really put uh, the brakes on, you know, the Book signings and book clubs and um, things of those natures. So yeah, it was primarily Facebook and social media, and mostly Facebook, that helped me out. And now things are opening up a little bit, and I'm I'm happy to say that um, the opportunities for for the signings and meeting readers are opening up again. And that's right. you know, that's the best part about writing a book is getting to talk to the readers. Oh my God, you know, to to listen to them and to hear people, what they get from your books. I mean, it's, it's gold. I'm I'm sure you feel the same way. I
0: do, but I also feel that I have met so many people through social media and I i feel like you you know i haven't met you in person but i know you and i feel that way with you know other authors and so many readers who've reached out to me and and i have to remind myself that i've never (laughs) met most of these people in real time
1: i know but don't they feel like friends i mean they absolutely do
0: absolutely yeah
1: no and it's it's really it's it's like it's the payoff for all the hard work. Is the way I feel, you know, to get just yeah. to, to to the camaraderie in the community. Is just it, readers and and writers are, are fabulous.
0: It's really it's really a wonderful thing, and 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 that other authors are so generous. It is mm-hmm. it is very very heartwarming. So I mentioned um, at the beginning. Uh, that both of your books have a lot of heart in them. And I have to say that really uh, a defining characteristic, there, there's a lot of warmth uh, in both of them. The, uh, fam- the feeling of family is paramount. You know you get into the emotions um, of, of your characters. Uh, so uh, what, on what did you draw? to accomplish this?
1: Uh, it's an interesting question. I guess I, I, I would have to say my own experiences growing up. I mean, I was very fortunate. My family, my extended family, my parents, may the rest in peace were fabulous. They were just great, loving family. I have a terrific brother um, and everything. And now my husband and my children, family is, at the, is, I'm gonna use your word heart, is at the heart of everything for me. And whether I do it, can. I don't. Maybe I don't even do it with intent, but I I guess it does come out. I do write character-driven books, and um, I I guess it's that. I mean, I just feel very fortunate
0: to have had the life I've had. I guess, and
1: it it
0: comes out. (laughs) It it definitely it definitely comes through. Um, So I'm wondering uh, what was the influence of. Your Jewish heritage
1: on your writing, uh, I, very heavily. And interestingly enough, my family was not necessarily deeply religious, but very Jewish, if that makes sense. And uh, uh,
0: culturally, and, culturally, Jewish. culturally, and
1: yeah, and just you know, all the the way we were raised, what we were taught to believe and act, you know. Uh, it's, it was always part of my life. I always have said that being Jewish, I always knew what was expected of me at different parts of my life and how to face different things. And um, I, it's just the way I grew up, I guess, I don't know. It's very important to me. Uh, it's very important to my children and my grandchildren. And yet it's, again, it's more a cultural thing than a deeply religious, I can't say I came from an observant family, though my husband did. And um, it's just always there, it's always part of me. It, it, it influences the way I think, the way the decisions I make, the way I live my life.
0: Okay, and why did you uh, choose histo- well historical fiction to tell both these stories? I mean, I, I'm thinking, there, there wouldn't have probably been another way to tell it um you could have well you didn't have to fictionalize it you could have um done it as a memoir or as a non-fiction book uh so wh- why did you choose historical fiction
1: first of all it's my favorite genre i read i read more historical fiction than i read anything else although i do read other genres and i don't i don't know it just seemed to me to be the way to tell the story i liked wrapping the story around historical events. Uh, I like learning as I read. I, I like to be informed as well as entertained and historical fiction just, it came natural to me as the way to go. Um, and uh, I'm contemplating another book though I'm not committed to it, but it will also be historical fiction.
0: Okay, that was my next question. What, what's next? Can you give us a little, a little uh,
1: peak. A little, yeah. Uh, I, I just there was a storm in 1888 that went across the country, and I know that, um, Pete, that a lot has been written about the way it affected the Midwest, but it also affected the East Coast. And um, when it hit New York City, it pretty much brought it to a standstill for four or five days. Huge amounts of snow and wind and everything. And I, I don't know it. I'm just researching it again. I haven't committed to it. I don't know if that's what I'm going to do or not, but I'm, that's what I'm looking into. Now.
0: The blizzard of 1888. 1888. Yes, yes. That, the one that's that. interesting because my yeah. husband and I got married in February uh, <laughs> and in 1972. And there was, it snowed that weekend. And I remember um, on the TV, the, the weather man started comparing it to the blizzard of 1888. And that made me crazy. It, it did not, it did not materialize that way. We were able to go ahead with the wedding. A few people couldn't show up, but I I mean, the blizzard of 1888, that, that was really, that was, that was a big one. <laughs>
1: yeah, it, it was. so it was a horror. And then uh, what's interesting to me is how the different classes of society were able to deal with that particular storm and obviously the poorer people suffered more than the wealthy people kind of thing so there's grist for the mill there it's interesting
0: yeah. so you're just at the beginning of that or are you no just
1: at the very beginning and uh and actually not even doing a whole lot because i'm spending most of my time now trying to get the word out about In Freedom's Light. So uh, it's a been a little hit or miss. And I do need a break. This one took three years to write. The other one took two and a half years to write. And um, this one was, uh, In Freedom's Light was a much more difficult book to write in terms of the topic and the things that were going on in there. So I kind of needed to decompress for a while. And so I'm ready now to start looking for something else.
0: Okay. So what's been the reaction from uh, family and readers uh, to your book?
1: Well, my family all love it. Okay. But they have to, they're my family. Um, <laughs> uh, so far so good. I I've been getting really nice feedback and it's very gratifying because I was worried about some of the topics in the book and um, they're not hard, you know, they're hard to read about and um, people have, uh, seem to understand you know their their remarks are oh I didn't under- I never knew this happened or you know that kind of thing so they're getting the historic thing as well as telling me how much they like the characters again very
0: gratifying very gratifying. Uh, so uh, is, uh, I think we're coming to the close of our time now is there anything else you would like to share with us Sharon? Yeah no just I so want to thank you very
1: much for this opportunity it's been wonderful I, I really enjoyed chatting with you
0: thank you and and where can people find you uh you they can
1: find me on my website at SharonGlogerFriedman.com and I'm, I am on Facebook if they would like to follow or like it would be great and um yeah I'm, I'm always available on on uh through my website too they can contact me and I Love to talk and chat with readers.
0: So I'm happy to answer. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Sharon Gloger Friedman. Her latest book is In Freedom's Light, and her previous book is Ashes. I also want to thank our executive producer, Pam Stack. People of the Book is a copyrighted presentation of the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network please visit us and like our Facebook page, People of the Book. I'm your host, Meryl Ain. For more information about my books and writing, visit me at merylain.com. Until next time, please join us on Facebook at Jews Love to Read and read a good book.